0: If I've not met you yet, my name is Aaron. I get to be the pastor of this church. And we're typically been in a series in the book of John, John's Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And this week we're going to take a little bit of a break. And then we're also going to hop into an Advent series coming soon. But the reason why we're taking a break is that uh, my family has been going through a ton recently. I just was visiting uh, Asheville, North Carolina, where my mom is suffering stage four lung cancer that's in her brain, in her lung, in her hip, in her spine, and her pelvic area. It's been a lot. And then I took my dad to the hospital and they are also exploring cancer with him right now. So... We don't have that definitive yet, but we are working through that. And it's been a lot for our family. I know that I'm not the only one that goes through hard times in this church. You may be going through things that I'm not even aware of, private things, very personal things, things from your past. And I want to take a moment in my life and in your life and walk us through how do we deal with the storms that just pop up? And so typically what we've been doing, again, we always want to go book by book. And I think it's always helpful that way because I don't get to just kind of sneak in my opinions of what I wanna like preach on. We let God's word set the agenda. Um, also, we've had some guests come and preach for us. And one of the weeks, Stephen preached a part one and a part two message as one, which was very, very good. But then our preaching schedule got off a little bit. I'm like, great, this is an opportunity for me to preach a one-off message on something that's pressing on my heart. So Pastor Stephen's done a great job, grateful for him filling in. And so this is kind of like a little bonus extra from the book of Mark. Does it sound good? All right, great. So um, the powerful thing, guys, about the narrative we just read is that it's incredibly applicable for us, whether you're dealing with things that I'm dealing with in my family or the things that you're dealing with personally in your family, especially with Thanksgiving week. we always acknowledge that sometimes Thanksgiving week can have a lot of highs, but also a lot of lows. If you look at any sort of mental health stats, the day after Thanksgiving and the day after Christmas are some of the hardest times of people's lives. We see hospitalizations increase during that time. We see suicides increase. We see addictions increase. All because there's something that is left in us that feels empty after those times. The hype and the high of those seasons kind of never really matches the hype that they promise us. And so we're left kind of in this tough spot. And so as we head towards Thanksgiving and Christmas, we want to look at this and say, how do we apply how God meets us in the storm? So if you're taking notes, that's the title of today's message, The God Who Enters the storm. And if we're honest, guys, the people that are in this text that we just read are experiencing many of the same things, guys, that we face today. Just like them, we experience the fear and the worries of what pops up around us. We are dealing with stress and anxiety in our own life. And then we're often left with a feeling of total uncertainty in the midst of the situations that we have no control over. But the beautiful thing about this story is that the God in the Old Testament that we did a whole Genesis series on that took us a year, the God who is above the storms in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament that comes down and enters into the storm in the midst of it to be with us and to deliver us from the storms of fear, anxiety, separation, and sin. And so with that said, guys, let's look at Mark 4 today and let's see the God who enters the storm. And as we do, I hope that you feel how amazingly hopeful this text is. I took a lot of time this past week to read this text over and over again and read it with my family, read it with my wife and my kids and my mom and my dad. And over and over again, hopefully, I hope it brings you the hope. So whether you're in a storm like right now in your life and your circumstances or you're heading into one, that's kind of the two things that happens. You're either in one or you're headed towards one unknowingly. Regardless of this, I want this text to bring you comfort and also maybe to prepare you for a storm that you don't even know is going to pop up on you. You're not sure what's going to happen in your life. I don't want to create anxiety, but to bring comfort or preparation for what we face. So with that said, let's jump into the text and let's see what God has for us here. Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35. On that day, when the evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, guys, let us go across to the other side. Take that one phrase for a moment and put it in your pocket. Let us go to the other side. Verse 36, and then leaving the crowd that he was teaching and ministering to and healing, he leaves the crowd, Jesus, and they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And in this time, in the darkness, in the evening, when they could not see, a great windstorm arose. This was fairly common for the Sea of Galilee, which they were around. It was kind of beneath the sea level, and a lot of wind and, and waves would kind of push through this place. It was an easy way for storms to kind of catch up on this sea here. So a great windstorm arose, and the waves were so big that they were crashing into the boat. So that the boat was filling up with water. They were beginning to sink. Verse 38. But Jesus, in the midst of all this, was in the stern of the boat, but he was asleep, asleep on a cushion. And so they ran over to him and they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Just a pause note there. I don't know if you're like the disciples, but that's a response of my heart. When I'm going through some chaos and some hurt and pain, I'm wondering, God, do you not care? Is anyone like that? Maybe you're a better Christian than I am, but when I go through a tough times, I'm like, God, I know you've got all the power in the world, but where are you right here? Do you not care what I'm going through? Their response is so helpful to know that I'm not alone in that space. 39, so Jesus, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, Be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He turned to the disciples in verse 40 and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Just notice there that there's two types of fear that just happened. At the beginning of the passage, they had fear over the waves At the very end, they had a different type of fear over how powerful God is. And I'm hoping that through the course of this message, we won't fear the circumstances of our life, but we'll have this sort of hopeful fear that God is over those circumstances. And the fear of this will be replaced by the fear of God, a helpful fear, not one of trembling, but one of comfort knowing how powerful he is over our circumstances. So guys, as we read through this passage, you can almost feel the people 's fear can 't you like you can almost feel it. They are overwhelmed with panic in this moment because a massive and sudden storm had disrupted and endangered their life as they know it, and they could feel in this moment how this storm could affect them, maybe financially as the storm literally is destroying their livelihood like these men are are fishermen, and they 're on these boats, and they 're thinking. It's destroying my work and my career, and I've got I don't know how to pay for this boat, and there's water getting in, it's sinking, and they're maybe fearful financially. How am I gonna take care of my family and my future? So they're anxious. Maybe they're also worried about their own personal life. Like maybe today's the day I'm gonna pass away, they think, and they're anxious about this. This is not how the day started. They they saw Jesus heal and care, and they heard stories of him, care for other people, but now they're in a storm. And they're like, do you not even care, God? Where are you? Maybe that's how you and I feel now or how you have felt before. Guys, if we're honest, you probably have a few friends that have broke off from the Christian faith, not because of maybe an intellectual argument about the existence of God, but an emotional hurt saying, God, I, I prayed to you during this time and you didn't show up. Did you not care that this was happening, that was perishing? And that's kind of where the disciples find themselves in this place. They begin to doubt and separate and they don't even call him God or Lord. They just call him teacher. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In this moment, there's all kinds of fear that's happening. They couldn't control the situation. The storm keeps raging. More water keeps crashing into the boat again and again. So they begin to ask the question we often ask, God, do you even care? And this morning, in this exact space, is a huge question for us to answer. Why does God seem to delay in the storm? Why does he allow struggle? Why does he allow death? Why does he allow abuse, neglect, abandonment, mistreatment? Why does he allow these certain things to happen? And what I'd love to give you this answer this morning is just a really quick answer that just solves all your problems, but we need something bigger than an answer to that question. We need someone to be with us in that place, someone to rescue us out of that place and a person to bring us from the shore to the shore in the midst of that storm. We don't just need a theological sentence. We need a person that meets us in that spot that promises to not only bring comfort there, but then one day to bring you out of that spot. And that's what we see right here. Guys, maybe this morning you are dealing with needs that none of us in this room even know. Maybe this past week you contemplated things that you never thought you'd contemplate about your own life. as we step into Thanksgiving and we think about our mental health, maybe you're dealing with isolation and loneliness like you never have before. Maybe you're thinking about leaving your spouse, leaving your kids, leaving your own life. And you were overwhelmed with the waves crashing into your own boat. And you've already thought, God, I don't think you care about me, my family. And I think it'd just be better off for me not to be here. This is kind of where the disciples find themselves. And we can find real hope and real struggle in this passage. The first thing that we can draw from in this passage is this. When you find yourself in this same spot, I want you to take a moment and pause, and I want you to do this. I want you to recount first God's promises. The first thing I want you to do is recount God's promises. What has God already said to you in his word? The first thing we need to do in this text is the very first thing that disciples did not do in this text Do you guys remember what Jesus promised them back in verse 35? Do you remember how we first started this passage? I said, put it in your pocket. What did I say to put in your pocket? What did Jesus say to them? Let us go to the what? The other side. What did Jesus promise these men that we're going to get to the what? The other side. Before the storm happens, Jesus gives a word. Jesus gives a promise we're going to make it to the other side. In the midst of the storm, the disciples forgot that promise that they would make it to the other side because their focus was on the problem and not their savior. They focused on the waves rather than God's word. And when we are neck deep in a storm, drowning in the midst of whatever's happening, we feel like God is not good or we're, He's not in control. We can pause and we can recount what has God already said. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus giving them a promise before the storm happens. He's giving them promise saying, guys, listen, trust me when I tell you this, we will make it to the other side. Let's go And we will get there. But the guys think nothing of it. They don't treasure God's word. They're not meditating on it. They're not finding hope in it. In fact, they just forget the promise God gave them that they will make it to the other side. They end up saying in verse 38, do you not even care that we're perishing? And God preemptively told them, we're gonna make it in verse 35. And they forgot in verse 38. So the question is what happened again to their faith? What happened to them? The Same thing that happens to us. Once the storm hit. The problem of the storm was more powerful to them, they thought, than the promise of their Savior. And they gained the sight of the waves and lost sight of God's words. And guys, the same thing happens to us. We think that the size of our problem overshadows the size of our God, not because our problems actually are bigger, but simply because we choose to focus on those things rather than God himself and maybe what he's seeking to do in that problem for you and his glory. Listen, Christian, God in his love has given you and I promises that just fill the scriptures to help you in your struggles, in your pain. And recently my mom and my dad and my sister, we, we sat down and we were trying to go through some of the promises that my, my mom can hold on to during this time, not knowing how many weeks or months we have left. And my dad's not sure what's going on with his health either as we navigate a possible cancer diagnosis with him. And we're trying to get a grip on how do we hang on? When I live all the way up here in Boston and my sister's navigating a really tough previous divorce with her husband and she's a single mom and she's trying to get by and we're all just trying to figure this out. And my mom keeps a notebook right next to her chair that she moves from her bed in the morning. She goes in her wheelchair, goes to use the restroom, comes back and sits in this chair. And right next to this chair, she's got this big notebook. And I asked her if I could look through it because she asked me to find a paper in that notebook. And I said, "Mom, do you mind? As I'm looking for that, I can look through your notebook and see what you're doing here." She's like, "Yeah, you know, feel free." I'm looking through, and with her kind of scrambled handwriting because of how the cancer is affecting her brain. It's just kind of page after page as she's writing out God's promises alone in her house, just writing out what these promises are. And it's so sweet that what she's holding on to is not a cancer medicine. It's not a new diagnosis. It's not a new doctor. It's not a new treatment. All those things are good and blessed and we should pursue those things. My mom's holding on to God's word about how he sees her right now that God would never leave her nor forsake her. That God promises to work this very cancer out for her good. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And even though we die, we have life because of what he's done. Revelation 20 and 4, if Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eye. Death shall be no more. Sickness shall be no more. God will be with us face to face. We will be with him face to face. Just page after page. And I can tell it takes my mom a ton of time to write all this out. She used to write in kind of this beautiful cursive that she learned and she would always write these cards to us that I could barely read. I'm like, mom, I'm just going to call you. What'd you say here? beautiful handwriting. Also, if you've ever received a letter from Valerie, if you've got great handwriting, you say you don't, I can always read your handwriting. But mom, I could never quite read it. But this, I can read kind of the scratchiness of the letters and look at the pages and they're just filled with these scriptures. My sister bought my mom a, a coloring book. If you guys have seen these kind of Christian coloring books, it's not like pictures of like cute animals and stuff that you're, you're coloring, but it's scripture verses. And it has a background and it's coloring through these things and nothing's colored in the lines well, and nothing is perfectly curated, but you can tell that she is meditating on these words in the midst of the storm. She's holding on, not to the shore she's going to get to, but the savior that's right there in the midst of it with her. And many times guys, we are looking to just get out of our circumstances, but God's looking to get inside of your circumstances and maybe he's allowing these storms to happen. And I don't, I don't know if this is true for your case, but generally, God typically allows these things to happen so you can draw closer to him and actually find the peace and comfort that your heart actually needs. It actually does just need to get out of a circumstance, although sometimes that's true. You need Christ deeper in yours and you deeper with him. Something good for us to apply from my own mom's testimony is how do you hang on in tough times? Where do you turn to? Typically many of us turn to Google or we turn to Netflix, scroll through social media and start looking at pictures of things. We numb ourselves out with alcohol or pornography. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's some materialistic things that we purchase and we numb ourselves out in the storm. We're left uncovered and not protected in the midst of circumstances And we don't draw closer to Christ. We draw closer to false comforts. And guys, what we can see in this passage is that what what they could have done, these disciples, what they could have done is saying, I'm going to trust. Jesus told me I'm going to get to the other side. I remember his promise. I'm going to hold on to that promise and I'm going to get from shore to shore. I will get there. Because in the midst of your own struggle, you can hold on to God's promises for you in his word. One of the promises that mom wrote down and that we have been praying through, uh, told, like, like not every single day, but, but most days we pray through Matthew 6 together. And she loves this verse. And this verse has become comforting to my own hearts. And this is the words of Jesus. He says this, Jesus in Matthew 6, 26 says this. He says, look at the birds of the air. And if you're in Asheville, North Carolina, there's a lot of trees. There's a lot of birds, a lot of hawks, a lot of uh, cardinals, lots of robins. There's tons of birds. And my mom can see that. From her room, look at the birds of the air and they neither sow nor they reap nor they gather into barns. They're, they're not anxious where their food's gonna come from. They're not trying to store up and what's gonna happen this winter and I don't know what's gonna go on next. Where's my next meal gonna come from? They're not anxious about that. The birds aren't. And yet your heavenly father feeds those birds. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, are you not more valuable than they? What a great promise to hold on to. If you feel like, is God going to take care of me? Is he going to be here? We don't have to flutter around like birds anxiously trying to store up things to comfort us. In the midst of a season, that's difficult. If we can look at the birds and remind that God's feeding them, they're not storing up and doing all this anxiously. Are we not valuable as God's image bears more than birds? Because there's promise after promise after promise. And that's what we can hold on to here. God is saying in this passage that if he's willing to provide for something as small and insignificant as birds of the air, then he will certainly provide for you, the children of his family. You are much more valuable, Koa, than the birds of the air. You are co-heirs with Christ and beloved children in God's household of faith. So listen, Christian, what promise do you need to hold on to? Not just intellectually affirm, but like internally clutch onto. This sermon might not be applicable for you in this moment, but we all know the storms are coming. So when they come, what promise will you not forget? Like the disciples, they forgot they're going to the other side. May you not forget that you are valuable more than the birds, that he will provide for you in that place, that he will bring his comfort to you. He promises to use that deep, dark storm to bring good in your life. And even if you're a Christian, you promise that he promises that you will get from the shore of this earth to the shore of heaven, and Christ will steer that boat through his death, through his resurrection, and you will get to glory. Even if the storm never lets up on this earth. Christian, you're never going to be stuck in the same situation problem, you will be for the rest of eternity. God will rescue you and bring you on to glory forever. Amen. What promise can you hold on to, and let's recount them? Put them up in your house. Put them on a lock screen on your phone. Tell them to a friend and have them text that to you. What promise are you struggling to remember right now? And you can often look at where's the sadness in your heart and where's the anger pop up? That's where you need God's promises the most. Where are those places in your life? Where's the anger? Where's the sadness? That's where you need some of God's truth and his comfort and his care there. Number two, here's the second thing we're encouraged to do from this text is to remove our focus off our situation and onto God's sovereignty. Now that's not to be a rude statement towards you. Like your problem doesn't matter. That's not just a Christian cliche to just kind of throw in your face. Like stop looking at the problems and start looking at God. But I want you just to pause for a moment and see how that perspective could be helpful for you if we readjust our eyes. That word sovereignty, if that's maybe new for you, like it was for me, that word sovereignty simply means God's complete and loving control over everything in life. God's complete and loving control over everything in life. And guys, I love this truth of God's sovereignty because it speaks to exactly where we often struggle. We often focus so much on what's happening in our lives that we forget the truth of who's reigning over our lives and his promise to work out all things for our good and his glory. And guys, we see that happen with the disciples in verse 37. Look at it again with me, verse 37. It says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern Now, what was their eyes on? There's two things in the boat, Jesus and the waves. What was their focus on though? Their focus is on the waves. Two things had broken into the boat, God, the creator, and the thing he created. Which one's stronger? Which one brings hope? Which one can bring a solution? Which one can help? In this moment, what happens is that their eyes were on the wrong thing in the boat. And their heart was, I've got it. What is going to happen here? The the waves are in and the boat's filling, but they didn't look at who was already filling inside the boat. They They didn't look to Jesus in this moment. Guys, our eyes will often deceive us in our storms, they will often deceive us. And I'm just telling you, this is most deconstruction stories of the Christian faith. Not all of them, many of them of which I can understand if there's been church hurt or abuse among leaders or lies and manipulation. I I very much am compassionate and sympathize how that can happen with Christian deconstruction stories. But there are also many, many deconstruction stories where our eyes are caught up in the circumstance and we're not seeing what God's doing in the midst of that circumstance. And that's exactly what's happening with these disciples. They look at the boat, they look at the waves crashing in, the situation looks bad and they think God must not be here for our good. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Their situation looks out of control. So therefore they think, God, you are out of control. You don't care about my life. They've not tucked away God's promises. They're looking at the waves and not God's word. And their faith begins to deconstruct. Guys, when you're in that spot, I do not want your eyes to deceive you. And the spiritual enemy's work is to help you try to Get you to think that God doesn't care, that there's no hope for you, that you're better off just living the way you want to live with your feelings and your desires and your urges. And He just whittles away at your mind and your heart. This temptation will be better for you. You should go this direction. God's not really real. If He was, look at what He would have done. God was really loving, He would do this. Have you ever heard that temptation in your mind? Have you ever heard that lie before? It's not unique to human history. We are told these lies because this is the enemy's work, trying to whittle that away from you. Get your eyes on your circumstance. Yeah, keep looking at how bad this is. Oh, look at what's going to do to your family, your finances. Look at how your loneliness affecting you. Yeah, look at all of that so deeply. Take your eyes off of the truth. Take your eyes off of Christ. Look away. I'm not saying it's not good to address the problem and walk through that or possibly share that with your community group or go to therapy. I'm not saying that those things are bad things to do. But the enemy's ploy is always to get you, take your eyes off your savior and put it on your circumstance. And in this moment, there's two things in the boat, the waves and the word made flesh. And their eyes are not on the sovereign word of God. It's on the waves. Guys, when we're in this place, maybe you're in it like situation with my family and it's a medical crisis, or maybe there's something that you lost a loved one this year whether it be a child or a grandparent, a friend. Guys, it's good for us to take a moment and think about what circumstances in front of me. But I want you to lift your eyes at times and say, God, you're sovereign over this. You're in the boat with me. I'm not alone. The waves are here, but so are you. What are you wanting to do in this situation? What are you wanting to do here? Guys, one of my favorite things you've got, my my friend Tom is, is here and you guys Got to see Tom baptized recently, and Tom and I were just talking. Today is the two-year anniversary, right, Tom? Two-year anniversary. We were talking this morning about how Tom had his stroke. Stroke ended up Tom in the hospital, where he found out he had a cancer diagnosis. It was during that time at the hospital, in the midst of that storm, that Tom, rather than looking into himself and at his body, he looked upward and said, God, I need you in this place. Help me to take my eyes off of my circumstance and onto your sovereignty. And during that time, Tom placed his faith in Christ. And if you've talked to Tom or Tom's talked to you because you're a talker and I love it, I love it. Tom will tell you how good God is, that Jesus not just rescued him out of that hospital bed, but that Tom will be rescued to go to glory one day. And that stroke and that cancer diagnosis turned his heart over to Christ, placed his faith in Jesus. And Tom's not going to be left in that wheelchair. Tom won't be left with this cancer in his body. God will eventually bring him on to glory like he will for all Christians. And it was that storm, that situation that turned Tom's eyes on to Christ and gave him a new life and eventually will give him a new body in glory. This is what I want us to remember. Your circumstance may be the thing that God uses to do something in your life, in your heart, in your life, through your life to someone else. We'd all love to have a story in some sense, Tom, I know you're still going through suffering and heartache and by no means it will make that light. But sometimes we all want a story we can immediately see, oh, this is why I was suffering and this is the perfect conclusion of why it happened. It all wraps up like a bow. Many of our stories are way messy. They don't end just like that. But what I love about this story also is they go from shore to shore with the storm in between. But Christian, you will get from shore of earth to shore of heaven. And every hardship, every suffering that you're asking to get out of, you're asking to stop, it will stop one day. I promise you. Don't let the enemy trick you that you're going to be stuck in this forever. I'll always be this way. I'll always be suffering. I'll always be struggling. Everything will always be hard. I'll never get out. You will. You will. This life, these next 60 years of your life, 50 years of your life, 20 years of your life, it's not the end. This is a small slither in time and you will have infinite and infinite of years where finally there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more weeping, no more mourning. Does that make sense? So in the moment, we can say, God, I want to take my eyes off of the situation for a moment onto your sovereignty. God, you're in the boat with me. So are the waves. I'm here in the suffering, but you're in the boat. What do you want to do with this? How are you going to use this for my good and your glory? And guys, I want to ask you to ask yourself that question. When you're going through this time, would you ask God, would you help me to see you in the boat more than my situation? God, would you comfort me in this place? And then ask the question, God, God, how how will you want to use this? Can you help me to see how do you want to use the waves? How do you want to use this storm? And I pray that this testimony the disciples shared will become your testimony. And you'll be able to tell people, this is what I was going through. And here's what God did in the midst of it. And here's some of the purpose God used it for. And I praise him for it. That your sort of storm turns into a trophy of God's grace. And as Tom and I were reflecting today on his story and his Hard as we celebrated today. Tom came today to church with a couple gifts for my kids, and today is Shasera's second anniversary of her adoption into our family. Right when I came home from the court that day, I had a couple of my neighbors at our door waiting for us and told us, Hey, Tom had a fall and he's at the hospital. So, Tom is coming today. The second anniversary of him having a stroke, but he came today to bring a gift to my child, to love my, love my kid. They both share an anniversary of a really odd day celebration for my daughter and tragedy for Tom. Because that's the local church, too. That's the local church. Some of the top of our life right now where things are going great and you're celebrating and you can dip down into the suffering of others. Some of you that you're in a place of suffering, but you're choosing not to jump out because you want to be there to celebrate others. There was other people in that boat to care for one another. And what we all need in the boat of celebration and suffering, we need to point each other to Christ. We need to press further into one another. We've got to be the family that we may not have in our own personal life because of a mom, a granddad, a sibling. Guys, this season will be hard for you. Guys, don't, don't spend any of your Thanksgiving alone if you're struggling, if you're suffering. My boat's welcome. <laughs> we have other people in our church, their, their boat's welcome as well. For us to hop into one another's boats and point each other to Christ in that place, take our eyes off our situation, put it on sovereignty and say, God, what can you do here? In church, we've got to help point each other to that. Amen? All of us are suffering personally, privately, or you will suffer per- per- um, personally and privately. And how do we point to Christ in the midst of that? Last thing, third thing. Last thing that we can do in the midst of all this is not just recount the promise, not to just readjust the eyes from the problem to the Savior. But the last thing is we've got to do some replacing here. We've got to replace our fear by resting in faith. The last section of this passage, excuse me, this last section of this passage is the most fascinating to me. But maybe not in the way that you think it would be. And did you notice Jesus' initial response to this storm? The initial response Jesus had in this storm the waves are crashing in, the boat's sinking, it's filling up, everyone's panicking. What is Jesus doing? What's he doing? He's taking a nap, he's asleep. Now, on one side of the coin, that's how we feel like God often responds to our problems, does it not? God, I am praying to you, please help me. I'm struggling. And we feel like he's asleep. And we're praying and we're shaking and we're angry. And we're, we're like, God, I know you see me. And you feel like he's asleep. And that's how the disciples feel on one end. But I don't think he's just sleeping here. I think there's something else that he's trying to do for us. And I'll explain that in a moment. So at first glance, the disciples like you and I are, you're like, what, Jesus, wake up, step in. What are you doing? Because everyone in this boat is gonna die because first you told us to get on this boat and I'm suffering because you told me to come here. But now you're asleep. What are you doing? Jesus is just in the back of the boat here, laying down on a nice soft cushion, asleep. Asleep. After initially panicking and trying to take matters in their own hands, like we all often do, then the disciples run to find Jesus. Which, by the way, just a quick pause, which is a great action for us all to take when circumstances are out of control. The disciples didn't run to Google alcohol, pornography, a vacation, buying a material thing, like we mentioned, to feel better. They didn't run somewhere else. They ran literally to Jesus. And church, may we do the same thing when we're suffering However, when they get there, Jesus is asleep. And here's what's interesting. They interpret his actions as apathy toward them at best and malice towards them at worst. And what is Jesus doing here? Why is he asleep? Like there's no way he can like sleep through something this massive and You've got 12 men screaming on this boat and it's sinking and there's thunder and lightning and there's waves crashing in. It's a loud episode. It's just not an extravagant like cruise boat where he's so far down on floor, you know, like sub L5 or something where he can't hear this. He's just in the back of the boat. What's he doing here? What's interesting is that here's what he's doing. He's not committing malice against them by not stepping up. He is providing a model for them, a model for them. Jesus is demonstrating the kind of peace-filled life that we can experience with God when we trust he's in control. When we trust that he will be good to us, that he will bring us from shore to shore, no matter what storm we face. And this is what the Bible defines as faith. Faith is a trust that even when the situation looks bad, God is making it work towards your good. And he's sovereign over you like any loving father would be over his family. He's in control and he's working it out for good. Jesus isn't being rude to them. He's not being unkind. He's not being, I'm just gonna stand off and watch you suffer because I gotta teach you a lesson. No, he's modeling a peace they can have when you step into God's promises and you trust what he says about you and your life and your future in him and how he promises to you suffering for good, then you and I can rest in him. Some of us, we just need a nap. You just need a nap. You're struggling, you're suffering. You need someone just to bring you a meal. You need to be comforted with prayer. You need to be over at someone's house and Weep through your challenges with a listening ear and have that person love and pray for you. You need to be able to rest and not work your way out of your challenge, your complexity, just to, just to rest. Jesus is not having malice towards them. He's providing a model here. Then the final verse is Jesus displays his goodness and his sovereignty by revealing how you can trust him. So here's what he does in verse 30, 39, he He stands up and he rebukes the wind and the seas. He doesn't start out by rebuking the disciples. He looks at the circumstance and he rebukes the wind and the seas and he says to them, peace, be still. I also imagine that he's not just saying that to the waves and the storm. I think he's also saying, peace, be still to the disciples. And church, if you hear any of the words I'm saying to you this morning, I want you to hear that word that God is seeking to bring you peace in your storm, real peace. Where maybe the storm doesn't let up, but you can have comfort and rest like Christ because you know, you know he's in the midst of it. And he's using the wind of that challenge to steer you in what God would have for you. He promises to use that suffering to draw you closer to Christ in his suffering So there can be an internal better strength maybe in you that God can turn it into ministry unto others. God wants to meet you in that. And so he speaks, peace, be still. And then how do the wind and the waves respond, guys? They obey. They obey. Why? Because they remember when he first spoke to them in Genesis 1. When God spoke into creation all things, this is Jesus as God. The wind and the waves, they remember how he spoke in the first place. And so they obey him because Jesus is their master. So Jesus concludes this passage with the question, it's the same question we conclude our service with today. Why are you and I really afraid? Jesus isn't being a jerk here. He's really saying, why are you really afraid? Why are you afraid? Where's your faith? What are you really anxious about? Guys, what are you really, really worried about? In your heart, what are you really afraid about? What really actually makes you angry? What's really making you depressed? What is in the deepest part of that? What's the core there? And do you hear that Jesus is trying to get in that very same spot? Why are you really this way? What's going on? He's entering into this place of pain. And he wants to replace the fear with faith. He wants to enter in that spot and bring you hope in that very same place that hurts. So my friends, the same question to you, it's not a rebuke, it is an invitation. It's an invitation. Where are you this morning? Where are you fearful? Where are you angry? Where are you anxious? Where are you depressed? And why is that? Where are your hopes and longings and comfort? What's really going on? Maybe it's honestly a confrontation that you need to have with someone that God can work reconciliation out. And that's, that's possible as well. But what we are deepest, our deepest need is something that only Jesus can provide. And if we run the thread back through that fear, worry, or depression, we'll find that what we really need is something about God himself, not something a person or a place or provision can provide. Make sense? That's the question that's we're asked here. Why are you afraid? What's going on? Jesus comes and asks us to replace our fear with faith, knowing that Jesus is the God who's with you in the storm and sovereign over the storm. And you can trust his goodness and you can trust his power. So here's how we end. How do we know that this is for sure? How can we know that God will really be with us in the midst of our worst storm? How do we know that he'll purpose it for our good? Guys, because there will be another time in Jesus' life there would be another time in his life where he would lay down to rest. On the cross and in the tomb, Jesus would again lay down his life in the rest of death so that we could be raised to life through faith in him. In fact, quite the opposite to what the disciples claim in verse 38, that Jesus didn't care if they were perishing. He cared so much so that he would suffer the greatest storm on their behalf death on the cross for their sin. So they would not perish by receiving the waves of God's wrath on the cross on himself and sinking into the depths of the grave to pay for their sin. In that time in the future, Jesus would not just step onto a wooden boat surrounded by his closest friends to minister. No, in that time, Jesus would step onto a wooden cross Abandoned by those same friends that didn't care that he was dying. Then just as Jesus awoke in verse 39, three days later, Jesus would arise from the dead, revealing his power to be over death and sin and every storm in our life to bring us from shore to shore to anyone who would believe in him as God and Savior. And guys, this was not just what he did for his friends at that time, but it's what he does for you and I in this time. Church, have you placed your faith in this type of savior that took the storm of death so that you could have life, that took suffering so that you could be comforted in yours? Someone that took all the storms of chaos and hurt and betrayal and murder and abandonment and neglect from people in his life? so that you could have a place one day where that would never happen to you again. This is the type of savior that's telling you, where are you? Why are you fearful? Would you place your faith in him today? Renew it again today in him, the God who enters the storm. Would you hear today, hear the same thing that Jesus spoke, peace, be still, and have that minister to your heart today. Let's pray.